0: he starts by calling the Ephesians saints, and then chapter 1, he talks about unfolding the, God's purpose um, for, for, for this particular group of people, from the foundations of the world, to create a new human race through the death and the resurrection of Christ. And then, I think it's what John uh, John Stott calls in the, uh, on his book on The New Society this is what God has got in plan for the church and then again he carries on Paul by emphasizing the, uh, the way that God has given this divine <coughs> plan by including people into this new society by including Jews and Gentiles and um, the, the old days of division and discrimination have long gone now everybody who is in Christ is part of this new, new thing that God has mysteriously planned through the years. And then um, he talks about the, um, the, all the facts that God has done through Christ and by what his spirit. Um, and then um, he encourages, I think, I think it's chapter 3 and 4, he encourages the readers of this letter to be worthy of their calling and fitting to the status of God's new and reconciled society. And it talks about the unity of the fellowship, it talks about the the relationship that um, people should have, um, whether it's, if it's at the workplace, if it's a family um, set up, and if it's a, a church set up as well. And one of the things that comes very clearly, from, to this point, in Ephesians, is that um, Paul is very keen that the outcome of this new life, a new society called church, is, is clearly unfolded in the way that we relate uh, to one another, and in the way that we relate to our uh, home, in the way that we relate to you know, the slaves and the masters and all those things. But now, after the five chapters of unfolding all of this, Paul comes to this reality that in the same time, as much as we've got all these fantastic things as part of being God's new people, we face opposition. And Paul needs to be very clear with his readers, as well as what they're Ultimately, his disciples, that actually there is a reality of this spiritual opposition. And he doesn't want to pay a lot of tribute to try to discuss what the devil is like, because I think there are other parts of the scripture that talk about that. But he wants to, 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 to stop and say that there is a reality of a spiritual conflict. There is a reality of a spiritual battle. There is a reality that actually needs to be handled in the right way. So, I think what Paul is doing here in starting with actually finally he says, verse 10 which actually it says from this point onwards it says, be strong in the Lord's and in his mighty power now it's very very interesting because he's talking to a very well-to-do group of people. He's talking to a very well-to-do society. I mean, Ephesus, with their well-known ports and docks and uh, the whole infrastructure and all the business that was going on. These were people that have come to faith by living those kind of lives. And it's very interesting how Paul, all of a sudden, swe- he doesn't switch, but he never loses Track of the significance of being God centered. So he talks about all of these things about what Christ has done, what we as, you know, what their visions should be doing in their own communities. And in in the same time, he carries on saying, but finally, don't forget who is your resource. And there goes verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. So in these eight weeks, the the, the passage is divided in in three portions, really. Verse 10, 11, and 12 is, is a call to be strong in the reality of the spiritual battle. And then, Verses uh, 14 to 17, it's a call to be strong by putting on the armor of God. And then the last two verses as I said earlier on, it's a call to be strong in prayer and in spirit in this battle. Um, now, when they, when they talk about battle, the, 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 the closest illustration I could come with, or the best illustration, is my time in the Navy. Um, It's very interesting because um, every time we think of a battle, we think of the idea that um, we've got an enemy and we've been there to protect our country from the enemy. But the irony of it all is that during all my time in Navy, I was being trained, well I think it was the first bit as well, as if the enemy was there. But in the end of the day, in our armed guards, all we need to do or all we needed to do was just protect the army or the navy base. We didn't see any enemy coming. But all the training that was put before that was as if we were going to have somebody to come and attack us. So, uh, I was part of the torpedo boats as part of my training. So, they kind of took a group of uh, sailors, and they took them to the torpedo boat, and they said, for the next three months, you're going to be dealing with this torpedo boat to know all the tricks. Having said that, the torpedo boat was broken. (laughs) But we knew all the parts. So, I think w- with that in mind, I just want to to, to, to bring here that, uh, that the reality of the spiritual battle sometimes is sanitized. Sometimes is undermined. Sometimes is overemphasized. And I think as, as Christians, or as church communities, I've been in both kind of groups, really. I've been part of big movements saying that, oh, everything has to be over-spiritualized and everything has to be part of this and that and name it and claim it and all those things. And also I've been part of the other extreme of saying that actually it doesn't exist that much as we think it does exist and uh, we are all going to carry on our lives. And I don't think we ever come to that point of thinking that, how ready are we to face a spiritual battle if it is real? And if we are ready, the question is, how are we strengthening, how are we becoming stronger in God and in the power of His might? So this is the question that I, I wanted to deal with today. And I just wanted to um, to, to, to carry on with the first kind of um, it's. if I say command, it comes out as a very harsh, but the first exhortation there that it says, be strong. Be strong. Um, I don't know if... I know somebody who has had the recent problem um, with their car battery, but are we all aware of car batteries not working? I, one way or another, we've have, we have had even our children leave lights on for all night and uh, <laughs> get there in the morning and not start yeah. the car. Um,
1: I think in England
0: you've sorted out very well with AA or RAC. but. Um, back home with God's neighbors jump start the car (laughs) Um, and when when I thought about that idea of being strong I thought about that idea of the car battery not supplying enough energy to start the car and when I thought about that I thought what is our resource of our strength now, I don't want to, to, to look at this in a way that's saying, oh, come on, we all know it is God. The passage says, be strong in God and in the might of His power. But I just wanted to encourage and challenge us this morning to say, well, actually, we all know that we need to be resolved in God's power. We all know that we need to be strengthened in His power. The question that I've got for myself And for you this morning is, what are the things that are stopping, what are the things that are hindering me to be resourced fully in the power of God? What are the things, what are those little lights that are left on in the car overnight that make me always drained the next morning? The reality is there. God is there, available for us. He is there because He's faithful. He's awesome. We've just spoken about His kingdom, His power, the glory. And we believe that. down deep within us. But the question that I've, I've had all week for myself is, what is that thing that has stopped me, or hinders me, or actually distracts me? in order for me to say, God, actually, you are the source of my power. And today, I will choose to be sourced in that. Because I think Paul knows the reality. He knows also that sometimes we can can get caught off-guards. Going back to the Navy illustrations, one of the rules, of course, in the Navy, is that if you were on that armed guard duty, you were not allowed to sleep. You were not allowed to smoke, you are not allowed to listen to the radio, you are not allowed to do anything apart from what you had signed on the piece of paper, and that was your guard duty for those three hours. Now, if you were a new sailor, and you were on armed duty. You were very honest with the officers and you do the best to stay awake, even if it was your two to five o'clock in the morning. And as time got on, you become specialized of how to fall asleep while you're standing. <laughs> also, you become specialized of how to hide and to be out of sight of the officer who was in guard. And by the time you have finished your 12 months of training, you've become a professional sleeper in your guard. And you, you have trained yourself in such a way that the smallest noise will wake you up, standing, I mean, you'd be in bed, or You'll stand up, and you'll just pretend as if nothing was happening, and you'll be there with your ammunition. And I just wanted to draw the attention, because I think that's what Paul is, well, my understanding, is that actually he doesn't want us to be caught off guard. And we provide, or we build up ways that we can say, actually we live in denial that I'm supposed to do three hours of armed guards. And I say, well, I will use that. I'll be, you know, I'll sign my name there and my signature. I've got a a fully loaded AK-47. But actually, I've even learned how to fall asleep by having the AK-47 just here. Because that's what you do. And the whole point here is that when you're talking about power, God is the source of your power. But on the other hand, what do we do with His power? And if we think that there are things that are distracting or keeping us off God to be resourced in His power, how are we going to deal with them? And Paul has got a solution. I think his practical solution is what we're going to be dealing in the next six weeks. His practical solution is that in order for you to be strong in God and the power of His might, you need to put on something in order to be able to stand. I meant to tell you that the power that Paul is talking here is the same power that he has been talking in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. And that's the power of Jesus' resurrection. And this flows very well with what Caroline said earlier on, and what we've been doing last Sunday. The power of Easter. But Paul says, put on the armor of God, in order for you to stand, to resist. So there is, there is an urgency there that he sees. There is an urgency and then he says, put it on as soon as possible, so you respond to it. But also on the other hand, again, trying to talk to Ephesians, who are very well-to-do people, he is not only saying that they need to put the armor on, but he also brings them again back to God. Because this is not their armor. When they called me to the Navy, I was not allowed to take anything with me. And the day that they took me to the Army or to the Navy base, I had to give up every civilian possession that I had because I was given a new uniform, I was given a new coat, I was given new uh, tools, and everything was with my name. And then later on in the training they gave me a gun that I kept it for the next 12 months. And Paul is saying here that actually when you want to put God's armor on you don't come with your own ammunition. You don't come with your own way that you think you're going to be doing things. He's saying God has got it there. It's provided for you. Put it on. And the third thing that I wanted to draw our attention to was the balance. He says, be strong in the Lord, put the armor on in order to stand firm. The position. Actually, to stand firm, this is the whole main verse of the whole context here. Stand firm, not like me. Slipping on my guard duty. Stand firm with what has been given to you. Because, actually, there is a reality. There is a struggle. That's what NIV translates it as. That our struggle is very real. Our struggle is, is permanent. It's there. And the other thing, and the last thing that I wanted to say, part of the struggle is that it's very hard to understand, but our battle, our struggles, are not against human beings. It is against spiritual powers. I was reading some commentators, and one of them was suggesting that actually. When we try and fight, or when we try to go against people, we're wasting our time when we should be seeking God and fighting the devil who seeks to control people and make them oppose God and the work that he's doing. Now, I said to you earlier on about the idea of Paul and Ephesus, and if you wanted to see um, to see one way that um, this is not that Paul has got a very clear understanding of this and how it has not worked for him is if you go to Acts chapter 19, and uh, you can see there. Um, I mean, we, we're not going to read the whole passage, but in Acts chapter 19, it's verses 21 to 41, and here we've got Paul in Ephesus. And if you've got the NIV, the the, the title of your passage is The Riots in Ephesus. Here we've got Paul. And all of a sudden, verse 23 starts, and there started a disturbance about the way. And then he names people. And then it names opposition that God's work was having in Ephesus. If you read verse 28, the crowds, after they have embraced Paul, all of a sudden they've gone against Paul and saying, actually, yes, what you're preaching is okay, but we don't need that. We've got Artemis. Great is Artemis of Ephesus, of the Ephesians. And soon the whole city was up. Rule. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, verse 30, but the disciples would not let him. Even some officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent them a message begging him not to do anything. The whole assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing and some were shouting another. The complex of the crowd... Here we've got Paul whose dealing was something which is very clearly people orientated. But you see how they've prayed about this. And actually it was the Holy Spirit that sent Paul to go to Ephesus. And you see the resolution that they come up with. Because I think for Paul, he had very clearly understood... <coughs> that the power that he was resourcing his ministry, that he was resourcing his walk with God was not human. It was not human oriented. It was God's based. But the reality of Artemis, the, the reality of the other situations there was real and he needed to deal with that. So as we, as we look in, in, in this coming weeks I just wanted to finish by drawing our attention and I think I'm going to say something more about that with, uh, with when we take communion together when we when we do when we're thinking about the spiritual conflict and spiritual battle actually it's very easy for us to lose track of the reality of the power of resurrection and personally, I'd like to encourage us that we don't look at this series as something that we are afraid of. Because, yes, the reality of the devil and the evil one is there. But if we look at Romans 8, 8.37, which we're going to look at the communion together, he that actually, there is nothing that se- can separate us from the love of God. And actually because of what Jesus has done for us, and because of that power of death and resurrection, we are more than conquerors. So I just wanted to encourage you this morning to not look at this series or this reality of the spiritual conflict with gloominess, but look at it from the victor's side that actually Jesus' death and resurrection were sufficient, are sufficient, For us, not only to be conquerors, but they are sufficient for us to be resourced in His power, to be energized in that power, and actually to fight the the battle with faithfulness. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank You for Your power thank you for your power of death and resurrection. And thank you, Lord, that this power is available there for us. Lord, forgive us for those times that we have substituted this with our own stamina, with our own capabilities, with our own agenda, and we have misplaced it, Lord. But once again, we realize, that, as we have been reminded today by thinking about your cross and the emptiness, Lord, that we want this mark so bad. Because we realize, Lord, that we cannot do it on our own. So as we, as we think about this passage, Lord, as a church, as a community, would you please teach us the truths that will help us, Lord, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and to celebrate that victory that comes from Him alone. In Jesus name, Amen.